Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I welcome you back for part two of a three-part series with Barbara Horton, one of the principals at HLB Lighting Design. In part one, we talked a lot about the business of lighting, but today it's time to dive into light and what that means to Barbara. Light, is it an art or is it a science? Is it a beam? Is it a ray? Is it a particle? Is it a wave? What is light, Barbara? I think light's just an experience. It's not anything you can describe. You have to feel it. You have to experience it. Of course, see it. I think you could smell it sometimes. That's what light's about. How does it make you feel? And that can be natural, the sun, the stars, all of those things, right? They give you a tingle. You walk into a space and something feels good or something feels bad, and you realize how transformative light can be. You could design a hospital where there's a lot of emotion that comes with that, maybe fear and other things, but you could design it in a way that makes people feel like, I want to go in there. This is going to be a good experience. You know, I always joke when we were talking to architects and interior designers, well, if you shut the lights off, you don't have anything to reveal. So we have to use light as the medium to help you reveal the spaces and the experiences that you're trying to create. I agree. Without any light, you can't see anything. It's one of our primary senses. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of five, actually. It's something that helps people figure out how to feel, where to go, so on and so forth. That's an obvious thing when we're talking to lighting people. But you mentioned our good friends over there, the architects and the interior designers. There's engineers, there's distributors, contractors, reps, manufacturers. There's a lot of people that, so to speak, touch lighting. And they all have their idea about what lighting design is. Talk to me a little bit more about what lighting design is to you. All right, I will tell you that I have always experienced lighting falling back on my interior design background. For me, I still think eighth inch scale. I can walk through this drawing without the 3D models, really start to experience it, like understand where's light coming from, where's natural light coming from, what's the opportunity that we have. To some extent, I'm still thinking like an interior designer, but now I'm just using a different medium to paint on top of the design or the architecture. I also think having a really good foundation in materials, understanding how materials interact with light helped me tremendously with envisioning and helping the clients envision with me what the impact or the effect would be at the end of the day. I used to laugh because I'd walk into an architect's office and, oh, they have the meeting with the lighting designer and the first thing they'd roll out is an RCP with circles and squares. And I would just push it to the side and I would say, okay, let's just talk about it. What's the first experience? What does the customer or the patient or whoever, what do we experience as we come through this space? How did they react to that? They were often awed. Like, oh, I'd never thought about how I wanted to feel. And then we would get into this kind of progression Maybe we assigned like a one, two, three feeling to it because sometimes architects don't want to admit they have feelings. So like, oh, that's a one and that's a two. And we'd make our way through the spaces and then we'd start to talk about the spatial things and opportunities. Could we open this up and can we create a window here? And suddenly I was the architect or the interior designer collaborating with them. And I think that helped educate them and make them realize that it's not just about circles and squares on a piece of paper. 
And then, of course, there was the opportunity to bring a fixture in or maybe do a mock-up and demonstrate something to an architect. I will never forget working with an architect. I won't say his name, but I called him up and I said, we did a mock-up of this very convoluted architectural spatial thing that he had inside of a retail store. And he said, oh, could you bring the model over? And I said, no, actually, you can walk into the model. And he said, really? <laughs> I said, yes, we made it full scale so you can walk in and experience the light in here. And we had this whole concept of cool and warm. And he came over to the office in the light lab and they were so intrigued by the fact that they could actually start experiencing this. And it meant more than just that reflected ceiling plan. It's probably a big surprise to me that they couldn't see or feel or experience the light. And there was no way for us to actually do that on paper to start with anyway. Finding the way they communicated and using their attitude about space and adding light to it really made a big difference. That was a big discovery. Architects sometimes don't know their materials, and they thought of light as the 1600 category and the specification as opposed to the art of it. We were all so blessed with the fact that we could educate our clients in a way and make them see things and become part of that discussion and collaboration as opposed to them having an engineer or sometimes a sales rep try to apply something to make it work for them. You said light is something you can see, light is something you can think about, and light is something you can feel. Those three things, I think, really do embody what a lighting designer pulls out of every conversation. They go into a space and they say, what do you want to see? How do you want to feel? And what do you think the space should be like? Mm -hmm. Answer those three trivial questions and I will give you a lighting design. <laughs> How the heck, marketing queen, do you explain that? <laughs> Let's see, how do we explain that? That's a good question. I think we still talk about the ethereal and we get people inspired. Now we're in such an incredible opportunity with all the technology that we have that the things that architects thought about 10 or 15 years ago Maybe it was relative to controlling something or the color of light. or We weren't facile with it. We could do things, but not the way we can today. Now we have intrigued the design community and recognized that it's not just the lighting designer in this process, not just the architect. It's everybody. It's the branding consultant. It's the engineers. It's the manufacturers. It's the reps. We all have to be in a very collaborative ecosystem to be successful because everything has gotten much more complex. From the pure essence of light, that's still the basic. But now we've got all these other tools to inform and achieve what we want to do as our dream. I agree. The sun does come up and set every day, has done that for a long time. Light hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that it's become more complex though. What you're really getting at here is lighting systems are a thing and how light gets put into a space and what it has the capability to do has become more complex. There's a benefit to that, but there's also a little bit of a downside. There's almost so many cooks in the kitchen who think they know about light because they know about a light fixture or a lighting control system. What's going on in our industry right now and what do you think we can do as a lighting community to help grab those people who all of a sudden are being thrown into the lighting world? but they don't quite know what lighting design is. I'll share a story that just recently happened here. I'm going to say the answer is actually education and demonstration. That's what we have to do. We have to constantly educate the community, the industry. 
recently we're proposing on a very large project here, a cityscape, and a politician made a statement about LED lighting not being safe. Not because of its technology. It's not safe because the street next door has high pressure sodium and the street he's on is LED. And he shows this photograph and says, you see, this one's not as bright. Mm, Very interesting. And which one wasn't as bright, the HPS or the LED? The LED was not as bright. Uh Now, the reality is I looked at the photo and it was taken at dusk and the other one was taken at dark. There's a little photo magic there. My first inclination was like, I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to talk to this guy and I'm going to explain it because the media just took a statement to make the people, the public feel that LED is not safe and whatever interpretation they wanted for that. So I do think that education is really important. Over the years, I've gravitated a lot more to the projects that are exterior, the parks, the waterways. I'm very big on the whole waterfront parks and projects. I mean, for a number of reasons, but part of it is I think that we can engage the community, the stakeholders in that discussion about what light can do for them, whether it's the color, the intensity, the uniformity, all the things that we've learned and discovered we're now able to share that with the community and they can really become part of the decision process about what's best for that particular environment. When you mention being able to engage that community and talk to that politician, it is education. It's so important to create those safe spaces, to have just a conversation to say, hey, I care about this. Mm -hmm. And what you said isn't necessarily right, but I'd like to take the time to help you understand what it is. Is isn't right about that? and then let you know that I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine you're billing people every hour for every conversation like this. There's a passion, there's a fire inside of you to do this. That's probably a bit of a learned skill, and that's probably something that also comes natural to you. If you reflect back, what do you think has just come naturally to you versus time and experience have bestowed upon you? I think the things that have really come naturally to me is engagement with people, I like bringing people, communities, team members in our office together. That probably has been the biggest challenge sometimes, but also a lot of reward when you can do that. Right now, we're seven offices and 90 people, and the biggest challenge that we have is trying to keep a culture across all those geographic locations, a lot of remote workers, and then we had the pandemic. But we always make the positive out of all the negatives. That's one of my strengths. I see the world through those rose-colored glasses, maybe sometimes a little too rose, but- No, uh, (laughs) rose is a wonderful color. I love the color rose. And Barbara, I love the glasses half full. How could it ever not be? Exactly. That's opportunity on either side. Oh, 100%. (laughs) So yeah, I would say for me, the thing that I've enjoyed the most in my career is bringing architects and interior designers together on projects. Sometimes working with an architect with two different studios and Studio A doesn't know Studio B because they're on different floors, but I'm working on two different projects and bringing them together. I just think that has been the biggest reward for me, aside from, of course, great design and a good business strategy and things like that. But it's really about the people. When it comes to that business strategy, you mentioned earlier there's consultants that you've worked with, there's mentors. Talk to me just a little bit about the value of time and experience. Well, listen, we're on this earth for a very short period of time, and we don't know everything. I wouldn't go to a car mechanic to have my teeth fixed, right? 
I wanted to be treated like a professional, so I sought professionals to help us. I was very fortunate to have buy-in from so many of the other principals in the firm and continue that attitude as I am transitioning out of the firm with our fabulous ownership transition in place. Carrie Hawley is now the co-CEO. I didn't have the benefit of a coach to teach me. I learned by failure, by success, by all sorts of things, but a lot of those management consultants as well. This year I said, you know what, we're going to get a CEO coach. Let's do this right. Carrie's got an advocate for a year, someone who's observing her in the interaction with the firm, coaching her, coaching others. It's been totally rewarding for me to see someone learn from a pro, bring it back to the firm. The skills that she's learning are one more positive thing that just advanced the company. What do you think the main value is of having somebody outside the company do something like advise your new CEO? Sometimes we're right in the middle of the firestorm. I think when you get the person outside, and this has been traditionally the case with all of the management consultants and other consultants that we've worked with, they hold a mirror up to your face. They make you recognize things that you're doing well, and they help you identify things that you're doing not so well and how to change those courses. Because we have a strong culture of openness, not just communication, but open book management, we're not afraid to share everything that we're doing with everyone in the team. Our management consultants have all had that same outlook and philosophy, and that has helped us feel secure that we're doing the right thing for the team. You mentioned they hold up the mirror. It's easy to look in the mirror every day. Make sure you look good for the day. Make sure you put on the right clothes. Make sure you're happy with with whatever's walking out the door with you that day. Why do you think it's so hard to look in the mirror and and be honest with yourself when it comes to judging character, success, really anything in that career category? Nobody wants to admit failure, right? (laughs) I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing. But listen, like I said, we're all learning every day, not just for the design side of it, but everything else, how to manage people, how to be more profitable, how to communicate better, whatever it is. I think that having someone step into that oversight with you, kind of look into the fishbowl, see what's going on and offer some suggestions. Sometimes we took them and sometimes we didn't, but let's face it, management consultants have a great skill. They could ease people into a transition or see something and see the alternatives so that they become a positive thing. One management consultant made a very specific point about something that I was not doing well. And first I kind of went away and pouted. And then I was like, you know what? They're right. Okay, so how do we fix that? I like those challenges. And I was never afraid of the person that told honestly what we were doing well or what we were doing badly. Another form of a mentor that you never knew you had, but you had. Yeah. I should probably mention it's not that you can't accomplish everything, but there's this whole thing called sleep and time in a day. How do you manage time so that you can still live a little and eat and sleep while doing what you're doing, which is growing this company? There were a lot of years we just did eat, sleep, and breathe the lighting business. And sure. actually, one of the consultants that we worked with did say to me, you work too hard. And I was just like, what? <laughs> this is my life. This is what we do, you know? I love this. Uh, yeah. In my situation, of course, Stephen being my husband and a partner in the firm, a legacy partner, Sometimes we didn't know how to turn it off. I think that was one of the best things a consultant ever really helped us with, was how do you 
six o'clock or whatever it is, you're going to stop talking about the business and move on. Learning those skills were really important, not just because the two of us were in the business. I would say that's for anybody. I hear stories of people coming home from work and bitching to their husband about, oh, you know, my boss did this or whatever. And the husband gets aggravated after a while. They don't want to hear it. Sure. So you have to find that life-work balance. And philosophically, I've always said there is no such thing as life-work balance because balance means they're equal. They're never going to be equal. Something's always going to suffer for a moment until the next moment. For us, it was really more life-work integration. I don't care if I was on the sailboat. I made sure that we had connectivity and we could still do our business, but still have some fun. We've infused that attitude to our whole team. We started having Half Day Fridays 25 years ago. And our clients were horrified. You are not working Friday afternoon. And I'm like, what is going to happen Friday afternoon? Seriously. And architects started to learn that, not kidding, after 9-11. That was, I think, a big revelation for so much of the world to take a break. We have to live life. We have to not submerse ourselves in just one thing. And now we do summer Fridays off completely and we work very hard, but we also find that nice balance across the board. At least we try. And we try to share the work amongst the team. So nobody's overburdened when the deadlines come. We really share that across the offices. Absolutely. When there's work, it needs to be done. You mentioned it's hard to balance things, but to integrate everything is something that's important. Mm -hmm. And integrating it probably includes being honest to yourself, being honest to your peers and saying, hey, this is how much I can work today. Yeah. I want to take one more break, but when we come back, we'll dive into HLB and I'll let you tell us the HLB story. Sound good? It sounds great. Thank you. Great. Hey, it's Sam. Thanks for joining us for part two of this three-part series with Barbara Horton. The first part about business, the second part about what light means to Barbara, and the finale, which is coming next week, the HLB story, according to Barbara Horton, where we're going to get an opportunity to hear it from her, celebrate her legacy, and learn how it lives on. If you like this episode of the Light Pod, do me a favor and head back to that app that you listen to this on and click that like or follow button. That's the best way to make sure you never miss another episode of the Light Pod, where we interview owners, founders, designers, CEOs, and people that are just enthusiastic about lighting and have a story to share with you about light. Until I see you next week, cheers. Cheers.